This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. You are tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. This is our multi-platform broadcast. I'm Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, and the author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital. And this is broadcasts of Community Cultural Capital, which we do either the video you're experiencing appears on fox26houston.com or the audio broadcast on 90.1 FM KPFT, your community station. Of course, I want to remind listeners that KPFT is listener-sponsored. So we ask you if you could budget to help out the station and if you could go to kpft.org and make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. That helps us do our part to keep this experiment in freedom of speech continuing. And then, of course, we are across several social media platforms. And probably most importantly, we come to you live. So today's show is a follow-up to a live event that we had crossing several borders because we are geographically based in Houston, Texas, but we also travel to San Antonio, which I'm just going to say is our sister city um, or brother city <laughs> or non-binary <laughs> familial city. Um, and this way we, we are able to work with the Latino bookstore where I am the literary curator and our author today who's joining us is none other than our dear friend, Jasmine Mendez. And she formed part of the Texas Writers Series at the Latino Bookstore at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. And we were celebrating the launch of her book, City Without Altar, just came out. Copies are available at the Latino Bookstore as well as all your independent bookstores across the country. So she's with us today. She's going to read some poems. She's going to tell us about creating the book and about one of the many other books that she has coming out all at once. Jasmine, un abrazo grande. Como estas? Hello. Good afternoon, Tony. Good. Yeah, I'm well. I, well, I did. I warn y'all. I got the booster shot and my flu shot yesterday. So if I seem a little loopy, that might be why. But I'm I'm here and I'm excited to, to chat with you all and to share some poems for sure. We appreciate that because look at you, you're turning this into a public service announcement. We might as well follow, follow up with that by telling folks, yes, y'all should get the booster shots. I'm triple vaxxed. So are you triple or quadruple? <laughs> this, is, this is my third booster. Some, yeah. Someone text me how to say that. Quint cincos. You're in the cincos. That's fantastic, though. That's important. And We'll, we'll we'll measure the interview saying, okay, yeah, so we got to let it rest a little bit. But I've been staying for, hydrated, though. I've been staying hydrated, and, and I rested before, so. That's perfect. No, but but what I love is 
you're being responsible to yourself, your significant other, La Luz, your baby girl, your family, your friends. So we appreciate you doing that and, and reminding folks. And what I love too is you're talking about it because I think sometimes in our community, we don't talk about, oh, we, we ain't got time to go down the list of <laughs> las cosas de que no se habla. That's what this book is about. Things we don't talk is. about. <laughs> you know, it's like at every single level, there's so much that's so taboo. Maybe that's why it's so powerful that we have this wonderful movement of writers that you're part of. But maybe, and this all ties in. So see, none of this is a tangent. But no. <laughs> maybe that's why we are trained to silence ourselves. We silence each other. And in the worst cases, our voices are muffled or erased. And, and the examples will be what you talk about in the book. Historically, yeah. you walk through your own family background. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to bring up Arizona's banning of Mexican-American studies, but it's linked because there's forces at work. Um, is, is that all tied in tangentially, maybe? <laughs> No, it is. I mean, so much of my work is about that. It's about eliminating the silences um, that exist in our culture, in our lives, in my own life, in our history, in Dominican history, um, not just City Without Altar, but all of the books that, that I've worked on for the most part um, are about, you know, people speaking and speaking out and not holding in our truths and our stories because so much has been silenced for so long. And then because of that, self-silence and that self-erasure, and then there's institutional silence and institutional erasure and pressure, then nothing ever gets passed on. And so much of our own histories aren't archived, aren't told, aren't the full truth. Um, there's so many voices that so often get left out. Um, and so I write to fight back against that. And like I tell my students, I'm like, if you have the desire and the urgency to tell your stories, you need to tell it. Because if you don't, someone else will tell it for you and they're going to get it wrong. And too often, so many of our stories are misrepresented because, yeah, when they don't often get told. And then when they do get told, they're not by our own people and they're not by us. And so then they're fabricated or they're false narratives that only seek to perpetuate harm and violence to our communities. Um, and so my writing is like is, is a cry against that um, in, in many, many ways. And and yeah, talking about our health and our health issues and advocating for ourselves and our bodies and what we need is a part of that. So I'm very vocal as you know, and I have been for years about my health struggles, about mm -hmm. seeking you know um, justice in the medical system and seeking fair treatment and taking care of ourselves because these powers that be don't wanna do that as we've seen with these COVID statistics and who mm -hmm. is continuing to die and get sick more and more. Um, it's it's us BIPOC people. And so we need to be able to, to speak out against this and to advocate for ourselves and educate our families. So um, I'm all about, all about it. It all ties in. <laughs> I love that. And I tell you what, this is what we're gonna do for our, our listeners. We're gonna take it in three steps. So the reward will be hearing you read some of your poetry. So we're going to get you there, Henthang. We're going to get you there. But first, there are two steps before that. The second step is going to be where I want to put it in context very quickly because I think some people may imagine that we're uh, accusing them of not caring or that the learning stops. I want to share what I've learned from your work and from the reading, because I've had eye-opening moments now, which I, I love because 
Some people might call it the praxis. Some people call it Satori, enlightenment, insights. I love that. That to me is an intellectual journey, which you caused. And I was there in the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. I'm like, whoa. So I want to share that so that people can see that they don't need a PhD to enjoy this and they're living it. Um, and the first thing I want to say too, because I'm being generous there, and I'm going to be a little mean in that I want to make clear that this is not for a lack of desire of our community to express themselves. Mm. It's not for a lack of talent. Mm. And even our most gifted voices have to deal with yeah. corporate publishing formats, corporate media formats, corporate education formats yes. that force our stories into little, little capsules. But even, even folks that want to say, well, it's Hispanic heritage month. Let's talk about Latinos. We're going to touch on the Afro Latino experience, but there's even so many layers under that for sure right so that i want to make it clear that it's not for a lack of interest or talent from our community mm -hmm. but also if you don't understand all that there's a there's a system in place that's trying to yeah. really concretize it in a, in a way that makes it simpler and we can't fit all those ideas We're sitting there at the Guadalupe um, at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center's Latino Bookstore there on the west side of San Antonio. Thank you so much for for joining us there, and your, your signed copies are there too. When folks want yes, to your signed up. copies <laughs> from now into infinity. <laughs> when it really was a wonderful reading, um, and I've heard you read. Oh yeah, muchas veces. I can get a PhD in Jasmine Mendes. <laughs> but I mentioned that too because I want people to understand that. We, we get something new each each time. For me, the mind-altering moment was when <laughs> I realized <laughs> that the Dominican Republic and Haiti share one line on this little island. And in my head, because of the same corporate education system, uh, corporate government systems, they were planets apart. And you touch on how that's been done. I, you know, I'm going to stop there, explain a little bit, and then please introduce a poem to us. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So um, City Without Altar traces among many things, but at the center of the book is the 1937 uh, Haitian massacre, which occurred along the northwestern border of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. The border has moved, um, you know, over over decades and, and hundreds of years. Um, it's pretty. It's been pretty stable um, now where where it is. But yeah, the, the island of of Hispaniola, as 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 it has been known, um, is two has two separate countries on it, which. Um, a portion of it, um, a large portion of it is, is the DER, the Dominican Republic, and then the other side is is the, is the, the country of, of Haiti, of Haiti. Um, they speak two different languages for the most part, um, French, uh, Haitian Creole on one side, excuse me, there's suddenly a gnat in my face, um, and then Spanish um, on, on the Dominican side. Um, there are some cultural differences, um, but that, you know, a lot of that has played out, um, you know, because of colonization, the French colonizing um, the, the Haitian side, the Spanish uh, colonizing uh, the Dominican side, and then lots of, you know, transnationalism um, and internationalism, if you will, um, transborder politics, um, lots of different things have played into um, the differences that exist. Um, 
but ultimately I do think that there are a lot more similarities and a lot more commonalities in a lot of ways that that we can and, and should be working together. Mind you, yes, this is coming from someone who does not live on the island, um, who has not lived in the DR, who is Dominican American, born and raised here in the States. And so I do understand my positionality and my privilege and my perspectives are different from those um, that live there. So I can't speak for them and, and their experiences, um, but I do feel from, from the research and the times that I have been able to spend um, in the DR um, and, and doing the work that I've been doing, um, that that there is a, a lot of opportunity um, for 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 us to work together um, as as two countries and two communities, um, and and I know that there are people on the ground that are working towards that. But yeah, a lot of people don't really know even where the island of Hispaniola is on the map, um, where the DR is, where Haiti is. Usually when I mention Dominican Republic, they have a, actually a better understanding of, of Haiti than they do the DR. And they're like, oh, is that the country that shares the island with Haiti? And I'm like, yes, we are actually, um, you know, because I know that, that Haiti is often unfortunately in the news for so many of the of like earthquakes and hurricanes and, and and terrible things that actually afflict the country versus celebrating um you know some of the things that, that we could be celebrating about its culture and about its people. Um so yeah I'm constantly not only educating folks about the massacre, but they're they're learning, right? Like geography and they're learning history about the two islands, um, the two countries and, and how they've you know been kind of at war with each other um throughout history. Um, and in conflict with each other um and and but that there are folks that are that are working to to build um more community um and connection between the the two um and yeah i mean that's and there's just so much so much there you know with regard to culture and history that that is often silenced um you know i can speak for the dominican side i haven't i haven't been um to haiti uh yet um i do it is it is on my my agenda my hope to to get there one day um, but uh, in the DR, you know, I know that there are, like I said, organizations that are seeking to to talk more about this um, sort of uh, strenuous relationship that has existed um, in in our countries for for many years. Um, but yeah, I'm just hoping to. My hope is to get folks in the U.S. to know about this history because, like you said, it's not something that we learn in school in most of our education. I mean, maybe in college if you take like a Caribbean studies class or you take an African diaspora class. You might be an elective, maybe. Yeah, as an elective, right. You might learn <laughs> about it. But um, even in my own research, you know, my own work, I basically gave myself an education on Dominican history. It was just through reading scholarly books and Googling things and spending time, you know, in archives in the library and talking to family when they would talk. <laughs> and so uh, it's been a journey. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think this is a great segue now to, to some poems. Uh, so um, reading from her new book, City Without Altar, Jasmine Mendes. All right. So this is from the first uh, section. Um, well, it's in the middle section, but it's the first piece in, in the middle section. Uh, and it's titled Along the Border. Along the border, on a dirt road, on a drive to El Campo, you found a batey. I cut the cane, we sucked on a stalk. You gave me your arms. I swam in the river, we locked the door. Then the lights went out and the radio played. You fingered the pesos, I walked to the beach. We fried the fish, you ate the mango. I jumped in the water, we bought the flowers. Then the migrants came and you bartered for more. Then the sirens blared and they were carried away, but we didn't stop them. Then the ocean swept and the palm trees sagged. They were foreigners, we were foreigners, and we lived there.
are experiencing the poetry of Jasmine Mendez. She's reading from her book, City Without Altar. You are tuning into Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say. And I love that you read that poem because you and I were like engaged in like a PhD level discourse. And then the poem is just, it's simply beautiful. So you you tell me, Jasmine, where in there are some of the pieces that we touched? Because I love the yeah. line break. I love the, the figurative language. Thank you. Yeah. So I wrote this piece after one of my trips to the DR while I was doing research on the book. And it was one of my days off. My mom was like, Mama Pala Playa, you know, let's go to the beach because that's, that's what you do in the DR, right? Like, of course, you can't go to the DR and not go to the beach. So, you know, we went um, and we were there just having a, a normal, like a good just afternoon. And um, there's typically, there often are very typically um, Haitian migrants that are selling you know, they're, they're selling sarongs, they're selling jewelry, they offer to braid your hair, they're giving you all kinds of artesian crafts and things that they've handmade or just that they found and, you know, they bought themselves just to resell to, to the tourists and to the folks that are on the beach. And while uh, a, a woman was trying to sell us some of her of her things, uh, some of, you know, of the stuff that she had, her merchandise, um, there was a beach patrol that came on a golf cart um, and whisked her and the other vendors away, like arrested them with um, zip ties and put them in the back of the of the golf cart and drove away um, because they were they were undocumented um, migrants from from Haiti. Um, and they were like, it's illegal to sell here on the beach. And, you know, where are your papers and where's your ID and all the whole thing. Right. And, and took them away. And I was really um, I was really struck by that. I was really mm -hmm. I mean, there was just a sense of like guilt and shame and like I didn't do anything and there, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know if, like if I could or should say or do anything. And here I am, this Dominican-American just, you know, oh, look at me, it's my privilege enjoying my day on the beach. And yet this very real like moment of like border politics and trauma and anti-Haitianism and anti-Blackness like occurring right in front of me and like just my sort of ineptitude, my, my just, I didn't do anything really, right? And so it was in a way trying to, capture that moment of like we're we're here and there's all this this beautifulness and this this land that isn't even my land but i have a right to be here like mm. i have an american passport so that what makes me allowed to be on this beach in this place i'm not from here you're not from here but somehow it's okay that i'm here but it's not okay that you're here and yet you and i like could be familia like we look alike you know you're maybe just like a shade darker than i am really was all it was um you know because a lot of the haitian migrants they speak Spanish, you know, um, just as good, if not better than, than the Dominicans that are from there, you know? And so how do we, and that's part of the book, right? Too. It's like, how did, how did they even know who was Dominican versus Haitian to decide who was going to be murdered? And then there in that present day, I think it was probably like 2017, 2016, when I was there, when, when this event occurred. And so it's just mind boggling to me, right? That, that we're still enacting these same violences against Haitians in the DR. And yeah, just me kind of frozen, I guess, with, with the inability to say or do anything in that moment um, as it was like, as it occurred in front of me. So that that's where this poem comes in. You know, it sounds really, really pretty and all that, but like it's, there's, there's lots of layers uh, and, and the backstory to it as well. We're going to get to another poem, but I, there's just two layers we have to add because I think one, you examine what you call that privilege. We, I might call it that power. Maybe I would call it those gifts. Mm -hmm. And you take that intelligence to create this, this dialogue, mm -hmm. because the goal is to silence it. So here you are digging into it and you're sharing that helplessness. So that thank you for that, that mm -hmm. and, and for being that sensibility, which has been silenced for generations. 
The other thing I would add, and we can't even get into this, but because we're not a corporate show, it's about community. We do have to acknowledge you've got immigration issues and then corporate media wants immigration issues to sound like it's just about brown folks. But you just mentioned the black experience in immigration in a, a Spanish-speaking country. Pause there. And then also... <laughs> The recent plight of Haitians, which has been documented in their flight to here, the U.S., mm -hmm. in Mexico and in Chile. I, I've heard a lot about Haitians in Chile as well. So it's also of the moment in different ways. But to your work, it's been all around. I'm going to stop there. And I think we should resist and get to another poem unless we deem otherwise. So, Jasmine, are you going to pick door number one where we get deeper into <laughs> We could, I mean, or, or poem. I mean, all I'll say is, is you know, folks, when, again, here when you're talking about like sort of corporate media and the ways in which immigration is portrayed, especially in the United States, um, you know, you see the sort of quote unquote picture of this undocumented immigrant from the states, and they look more like you, Tony. They don't really ever look like me. But then, if you look at the statistics, black immigrants, black undocumented immigrants are are deported at a higher rate than non-black immigrants wow. in, in the United States. And so it's something that we don't talk about um, or that you don't see prominently in the media. Um, but but there are more undocumented black immigrants that, that are deported and incarcerated at higher rates than non-black um, undocumented immigrants. So um, I do think that's another reason I also think that this book opens conversations for that mm -hmm. um, and to talk about the black immigrant experience, not just in the DR, right? But in just across the world and, and, and what that looks like and, and how, um, they so often face so much more discrimination than than non-black um, immigrants to other countries. So, um, but yeah, I can I can read another poem as we segue. Please. Um, so interlaced uh, or or working uh, in tandem with the story of the 1937 Haitian massacre, I also discuss um, my own sort of medical um, issues and and in um, encounters with with the medical field um, and in one of those experiencing my own sort of cutting uh, with a fingertip amputation. Um, and so in the book, there are a series of uh, CT scans of my hands. Um, and one of the things that really struck me about the Haitian massacre was the use of the machete to enact uh, the massacre. Uh, Trujillo ordered his uh, his guardia, his men, to use machetes rather than bayonets um, to, to kill these innocent victims of the Haitian massacre. Um, and so having gone through multiple surgeries with my hands, there's sort of this parallel story of my own cutting uh, related to um, the massacre. So these are just titled Interlude. Papi says we are what we do with our hands. At age nine, I curl my fingers around the shell of a coconut. He shows me how to use a machete. The blade turns and winks at me. We catch the sunlight. I wince, my hands afraid of the cut, of the blood that could tremble or trickle down a knuckle. Papi says the machete is built for reaping and revolution farming and food. Papi names his machete, a tool, like the hammer or the pen. He wraps his fingers around mine. We grip the machete. We raise it above our heads. Papi says, do not be afraid of the machete, but I do not want to carry the weight of a weapon in my hands. Thank you. That's powerful. And again, there, there's that um, really beautiful way you take those concrete images. And, and as we chat, 
I, I still can see the, the imprints of some of the influences you brought up. Um, but, but I'd love another poem, please. Sure. Yeah. You got me working today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to pull the first piece from the plain verse set in in the book here. This is a pantoum. So you'll hear a lot of repetition because this gives um, a little bit of the history and kind of sets up the Haitian massacre. Scene two, the hills become a hospital, the river becomes a bed, the border becomes a wall. Me. The wounds had been made by a machete, but America didn't care about it as a news story. And in a hospital along the border, men, women, and children lay severed, limb stumps pulsing angry red against black skin. And while America didn't care about us as a news story, Irelia Gideon, nine, Senalia Pierre, 22, Cameron Pion, 11, lay severed, limb stumps pulsing angry, red against black skin, whole families fleshed by the flashing fury of a machete. Survivors like Irelia, Senalia, and Cameron cried out, clenched fist, tongue, trilled tongues, and swallowed screams. Whole families fleshed red, a fury of flashing machetes, asking what had they done to deserve this? Crying out, clenched fist, tongue trills, and swallowed screams, thousands of butchered bodies buried beneath ravines burn with why. What had they done to deserve this? Separated skin, kin, and bone felled from flesh, floating down a river red with thousands of butchered bodies bobbing and burning along ravines. There was only one who denied it. The president of Santo Domingo separated skin, kin, felled bone from flesh and sent it floating down a river red while Irelia, Senalia, and Cameron remember the only one who denied it, the president of Santo Domingo. And in a hospital along the border, men, women, and children like Irelia, Senalia, and Cameron remember their wounds made by a machete. Wow, and that's a powerful contrast to the poem you just shared. Chasmin, uh, there is just so much there that ties into race issues in the U.S., um, which I'd love to touch on. Well, how about this? Just tell us about that. Am I wrong into reading that into it? No, not at all. Not at all. There's there's a lot of um, sort of allusions, if you will, and, and references to a lot of the same um, anti-Black violence, um, state-sanctioned police brutality against uh, Black individuals here in the United States. There's a lot of sort of uh, references kind of as an undercurrent to this work as well, which is another reason I you know, felt that this book... Um, what this book is is about and why it was timely, um, you know, with so much of the sort of the, the, the race relations and, and where we are as a country ourselves is United States, you know, sometimes it's um, a little easier, not not easier, none of it is easy, but I think sometimes folks might have an easier time reflecting on something outside of the United States and being like, oh, wait, this sounds a lot like what's happening here before they can accept, right, certain things that are happening here before they say, oh, this is happening here as well. Like, you know, they, it's easier to kind of look outside of yourself to then reflect back and be like, oh, wait, this is she's actually really also talking about, you know, uh, anti-Black violence here in the United States, because there is also a lot in the book about saying their names. And I, and I there's just like a page that literally they just that's the part of say their names. 
and then you turn to the next page again there's it's you know it's a blank page um to to signify this idea of like of saying um their names because that's you know it's not just here in the united states where where we seek to silence and repress and say that no um, institutional racism and, and anti-black violence doesn't exist anymore. We're a better country than that. Like you can say that, but but the statistics and the news will tell you otherwise. Um, and this is my way to also say like, it's not only happening here in the United States and hasn't only happened here. Look at where else um, it's also occurred. And so trying to build those connections um, between this moment in time, this that people say, oh, it happened so long ago, 1937. And I said, well, no, it's still this this ideology is still affecting us and and you know our experiences today, um, you know and, and this this idea also yeah that America doesn't care about us as a news story, um, that you know that that comes from um, yeah this idea that that's so often um, our deaths and violence against uh, Black individuals across the diaspora across the world are ignored um, are downplayed um, you know they're gone after a news cycle etc. And so this speaks to um, this piece in particular had, is a found poem from uh, the article that the one American journalist that decided to cover the massacre wrote, um, Quentin Reynolds. Um, he wrote Murder in the Tropics when he and he flew to the DR uh, to the border in 1938, February of 1938, and interviewed Haitian uh, massacre survivors and victims of the massacre, interviewed Trujillo as well, um, and and wrote about this this moment in history, but he was the only one. Um, and listen, it took me forever to even find that one article. <laughs> like it was a whole situation. And then the lines that most of the lines that you hear from that poem are pulled directly from from his article to, to write that piece. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's something that this moment in history in the DR and, and especially here in the States, is not something we really hear about or talk about mm -hmm. um, and violences that continue today, both on the island um, and here are also usually not read about or talked about or, or heard in the news as much. Um, so I just, yeah, I wanted to highlight that. And I want to go back to what you said earlier, your, um, I'll just call it unease or your examination of your experience as not being in the DR and here, because you're what I would call from my book, a cultural accelerator in that high level performance writer, and that could be different fields, uh, researcher, and you're connected to the community still. Yeah. And I think what that means in your work is that you're crossing borders, which we have not been privileged to before. Like you, you've documented several moments where borders hurt us mm -hmm. and you're crossing them, defying them. And not for, not for puro party, you know, uh, you, you have beautiful moments, but you're still writing about it. But what you're doing then is um, I see you taking the black lives matter movement, mm -hmm. which basically examine this recent uh, attack on black skinned individuals mistreatment of them which has been going on for generations and came up with a way to address that and it's powerful then that you translate it to me it seems into the poetry but into the history of dominican yeah. republic so here you are crossing those borders with that art and i think you do that because of that which you were um bringing up earlier 
porque eres americana, porque eres Latinx, porque eres Afro-Latina, all those things, yeah. you can wrap that up. Is that fair to say all that? Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I do, I do think so. Um, yeah, and, and again, so much of, of writing this book and putting this book together and talking about it over all these years um, is, has, yeah, has been about me examining my own positionality, my own privileges, my own positions of power, as you say, and, um, and really thinking about, you know, what, what do I as a Dominican American have to contribute to the story and, and how and why is it part of my responsibility to tell these stories? And as a black woman living in the United States, like so much of what I think my Haitian brothers and sisters experience on the island, I also sense some of that while here in the States, I may not get that same treatment um, in the DR. And I acknowledge that mm. um, my blue passport and my American dollars and my lighter skin afford me a, a wealth of privileges that, that I know um, the Haitian community is not afforded um, in the DR. And so, um, but when I come back home here, you know, I still, there's, I still live with so, so much of, of like anti-blackness and, and racist and racism, right? Especially in Texas, right? Like fear. There are times, there are neighborhoods and places in Texas that I don't go to um, there are places that that I am afraid to travel to at night, that at towns that I don't drive through um, at night, especially right um, sundown towns and things like that, um, mm -hmm. and even places that that we perceive as safe. Sometimes there's you know on my way to school every day to take my daughter, there is a house with a Blue Lives Matter flag and a um, a, tr a Trump 2024 flag and something else that just to me is like highly offensive. So to me, every day taking my daughter to school, I feel assaulted, like I feel attacked by some of these displays of sort of white nationalism and patriotism, etc. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of bridge those, those, those experiences um, and, and show like, I can empathize and I can understand, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of, of, of sort of, of that anti-blackness that, that happens on the island, as well as um, here at home and seeing that, you know, this anti-Black violence um, has been around for a long time um, in, in many places, not, not just here in the United States. And I also wanna, I wanna bring up one other um, issue that you made me aware of, um, and then we'll have you read two more poems, and then we'll close by you telling us more about your power. Because you are accruing so much community cultural capital right now, we gotta brag about it. Uh, and, you know, we had to let people know that your overnight success, that was a long night. <laughs> I love, yeah, no, it's been a long night. Listen. Yeah. Um, but one thing that, um, of course, it's great to hear you read the poems. Uh, they're powerful on the page and they're beautiful. And I also enjoy the, the political analysis part of it. But you mentioned, too, that uh, in the Dominican Republic, folks who are citizens with birth certificates were marked as racist Hispanic. And then here in the U S we can just look at the, um, how race is treated in the U S where folks that might be called, uh, Latino or Hispanic, uh, pick white or black and the implications of that, because here in this country, um, there's certain discussions that say, um, you know, Latino is not a race. We're, we have whole shows about that. So I don't want to get too far into that um, yet. But to me, it was fascinating then that part of this, your articulation of this moment was that there, a government decided, well, let's put Hispanic as a race. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm not sure how the birth certificates work in the in the DR. I haven't seen one mm-hmm. myself, but for my personal birth certificate, which is a part of the book as a blackout poem in the opening, um, I was born in Alabama. I'm a military brat for those who don't know. So I was raised everywhere, but I was born in Alabama, grew up mostly in the South. But for some random reason, I think it was at some point during the pandemic or right before I had asked my mom, like, can I get a copy of my birth certificate or help me get one? Because I just wanted to have my paperwork in order. I was like, I was like, if I need to flee this country, because mm-hmm. white folks are going <laughs> to do whatever they're going to do, I need all my documents, I need my paperwork. So I asked my friend birth certificate. And it was the first time I, I think I'd seen like a physical copy of my birth certificate. And when I looked, and it was just as I was like editing and working on this book still, um, and it shows there that the race listed on my birth certificate for both my parents, my mom and my dad, is Hispanic. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, I think that they were the ones that self-selected that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, di- I didn't. I haven't mm-hmm. asked. Um, but the fact that there's no record on my birth certificate that shows that I am Black or that I have African, you know, ancestry or African history um, in my blood, in my body, um, was really striking to me. It was like, wow, um, the anti-Blackness in my life started at birth, you know, because mm-hmm. that was part of this exploration, that part of the reason for going into this book was wondering, well, where does the anti-Blackness in the DR come from? Like, I was like, I want to find where it began, you know, and so much of the history and, and folks that I spoke to were like, oh, it was Trujillo, Trujillo, Trujillo. Um, and yes, 100%. But I was like, was there a defining moment or was there something like what propelled this? Um, because he himself, people also don't know this, Trujillo himself was a quarter Haitian. Like he had a grandparent that was Haitian. Um, and so to be so anti-Haitian and so anti-Black and then spend 30 years of this dictatorship perpetuating that, um, I was like, what, why? Like, where did this come from, you know? Um, and we know colonialism and white supremacy and, and all of those things are also an influence in that. But so much of what I read s- said that that a lot of this sort of, um, the, the violence towards them um, and, and this hate began here with this massacre. Um, and so also trying to one, trying to understand like where it came from within me, because I've spent many years dismantling mm-hmm. my own um, internal racism and, and self-hate towards my own blackness and, and anti-blackness, et cetera. Um, and then just finding out that like, wow, this, this was this, from the moment I was born, I was denied my blackness. So no wonder I grew up my whole life saying I'm not black, you know, and I'm Hispanic, I'm Latina, I'm Dominican. And it's like, bro, look in a mirror. <laughs> like, you, can't, you can't deny what you're looking at. So, um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that was that that was a big revelation for me. What is powerful about your work is you take some deep psychological issues, you take some political issues, but some things are very quotidian because that's picking what you identify as is quotidian in the fact that it happens quickly. It happens like at certain places, um, could be the birth certificate, but then you've got you know, the person's definition of race, that doctor or whoever's administering it, the administrators, <laughs> what they're going to write down. And then later on, government's extrapolating what that is because in the US, you have the census where 
if I remember correctly, the last version says Hispanics not a race yet. It says something to that effect, but in the past it hasn't. Um, but then if you look at different examples in history, clearly you know, Hispanics were treated as a race by different reasons. Right. And you, you draw this powerful moment too, where in, in the Dominican Republic, there's ramifications of that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's very powerful in your work. Yeah. I tell you what, let's do this. If you'd kindly uh, give us two more poems and then oh. I'd like folks to know all the books you're writing then. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit to the end here. There's a last section in the book that um, sort of traces um, motherhood and my motherhood journey um, and in relation to sort of thinking forward, right? So thinking about the future and how I'm hoping to break these sort of generational traumas of anti-Blackness, you know, within myself and then with my daughter um, and thinking about um, just the future and and where it might lead. And so I'll just read two short pieces from that section. Um, Tell me something I haven't read out loud, just for fun. The Forgotten. The highway is littered with stuff, stuff people no longer want, big stuff, old stuff, broken stuff, a white cooler's blue lid flaps in the wind, a once upon a good time. A brown leather recliner wobbles and waits by the side of the road, a hitchhiker waiting for a home. A full-size mattress springs and wails, a purple velvet ottoman puts on a show and sullies in the rain. A used up memory no one will claim. At night, while I wait for you to wake, while I wait to fall asleep, I close my eyes and count the stuff I've seen. Sheep in a field of almost dreams. Cantankerous treasures tossed to the side. One, two, three. Mommy would say, que lastima, such good things gone to waste. And I imagine a highway of almost apologies. Words between mommy and I that got used up, thrown on the curb, forgotten. Que lastima, I whisper into the dark, and there is an almost whimper in the monitor. It bends into prayer. It leaks into the cracks between us, mothers, daughters, begins to fix what we don't want to throw away. And I will read one more. The Fable. Smile, if only because you recognize my face in the face of other women. Remember what we have escaped, what we have done to each other, the light-skinned women to the dark-skinned women, how you are one and I am the other, how I am one and someone else is the other. Remember this mestizaje African fable, a green river slides into an ocean of bones, a sea of rot, so much to recover, but it's not anything anyone else would want. Somewhere beneath our skin to skin is making its way into my DNA, changing how I carry the women who made it out of the water. Thank you. Fantastic. We've been experiencing the poetry and the mind and soul of Jasmine Mendez, 
from her book City Without Alter. But Jasmine, you've got several books coming out now. <laughs> Congratulations. It's wonderful to, 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 to get to experience that with you. Uh, give us the name of the other books. And I've lost track of what you can announce publicly and you can't. Because I don't want to violate my NDA club. <laughs> all good. All good. So Islands Apart, Becoming Dominican American drops this Thursday, September 15th, just in time for Latin Heritage Month. Um, that's with Arte Publico Press. And I am, if you're in Houston, having a book launch on September 17th, Saturday at Kindred Stories Bookstore at 7 p.m. So hope to see you there. Um, I did also translate Amanda Gorman's picture book, Change Sings, La Canción del Cambio, Himno para Niños, which uh, comes out on September 22nd. So bilingual teachers, dual language teachers, parents of bilingual children, uh, please, please, you know, check that, that translation out. It was my first sort of big translation. I was really excited to take it on. Um, and that's by uh, Amanda Gorman, and it's uh, illustrated by Lauren Long. So... La Canción del Cambio. And then I have a middle grade, my debut middle grade novel in verse, Aniana del Mar Jumps In, coming out with Dial Books uh, in March, April of 2023. Uh, and that's about a young Dominican girl who gets diagnosed with a chronic illness. She lives in Galveston. She loves to swim. She's helping her mother heal her generational trauma. And there's, there's all sort of uh, good fun things in that book as well. So I'm excited, yeah, about all the things that are that are coming out um, that are forthcoming and yeah i'm on book tour starting um at, well it started already with the with the guadalupe cultural arts center bookstore reading and um the next one is uh coming up i've got a september 22nd reading coming up with the holocaust museum virtually for those of you that are not in houston um and yeah i welcome to to i hope that you all uh join me for those Continued success. Thank you so much for joining us. You had a, it was a wonderful reading at the Latino bookstore. So we encourage folks to get a chance to, to meet you in person and appreciate you supporting local and independent bookstores and uh, continued success. Thank you, Tony. <laughs>